What's up guys? Welcome back. You're here with me, Nick, and unfortunately I'm again joined by Ronnie. It's okay, I don't mind going home. Yeah, well, unfortunately we need you for this podcast, Ronnie, so happy to have you here with me. Some lack of rugby on this weekend. We actually had the fortunate event of chopping and changing through our channels on Saturday, trying to catch a bit of URC, a bit of Six Nations. That's a real problem to have when there's too much rugby and not enough screens to watch it on. Exactly, and then DSTV wants to come with this nonsense of reducing streaming channels. How else are we supposed to watch all the games at the same time? Come now, multi-choice. But URC, maybe that's a good place to start, considering the South Africans partook in that. Oh, we'll get cracking then with the first game, Bulls versus Zebra. How do you say Zebra? Zebra. Zebra? 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 We're offending anyone, we apologize. Definitely well, we're definitely not like the animal learning. we have here. <laughs> Zebra? So, Bulls winning that one, 45-7. Not much to say about that game. Expected win for the Bulls. I still feel like they labored a bit on their way to victory. But yeah, solid win from the, the men from Pretoria. Yeah, the expectation on Superbrew was 96% in favor of the Blue Bulls. So 4% were... Uh, Wrong. Yeah. We were, were part of that 4%. No, I wasn't. Running? I got a Grand Slam point <laughs> in the in Superbrew. But yeah, absolutely. Convincing performance by the Blue Bulls, I know you said they labored on their way, but I think, you know, you, you don't fly north and go play in those conditions and, and, and hit the ground running. So, um, yeah, I think, well done, Blue Bulls. You guys did, did well. And uh, Zebra, seven points. Well, consolation. Consolation, absolutely. And then I just, I feel like I've beaten on the Lions a couple of times in this podcast. So I just want to say they did me proud, even though they still lost this weekend. How did they do you proud? 21-13 against Leinster. Okay, oh, fair enough. Granted, right, Leinster's second or third string team, but still, I predicted a slaughtering there. And Leinster didn't really topple the lines. Eight point difference, not that much in it. It's a good game, you know, and, uh, if you're an impartial fan like we are. Um, well, we generally lean towards the South impartial. African team, sure, yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. But no, it was a good game. Um, I also predicted, I said Leinster by 21 you know, if the Lions didn't score anything, then well done. But, yeah, no, well done to the Lions. Yeah, definitely well done to them. So, hopefully, this is the turning point in the Lions season and they're able to to build a little bit going forward. I hope it's just not the turning point in their season. I hope it's the turning point in everybody's season from South Africa. Um, That's definitely true. Because we do dominate the bottom half of that log. Unfortunately, that turning point might be a bit different for the Stormers, their first loss of 2022. Controversial? I think that's putting it lightly, but... You know, as South Africans, we should be scared about speaking out against the refs because every time we do, they seem to win Ref of the Year awards <laughs> after that. <laughs> but what a shocker in the Stormers Connacht game. I, I want to say yes and no, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, but you know, you're always going to be upset. There's always going to be somebody upset at the ref, you know. No, fair enough, but Connacht winning that one 1917, I thought shocking, shocking performance to give uh, Ruhan Null a yellow card. If that guy was watching Owen Farrell tackle, he'd probably send him to prison. <laughs> so, what can you say about that, hey? I think Stormers were robbed there. Nick Mallet had a lot to say, essentially saying the ref decided who the winner was before the fixture. And that's a bold statement to, to call out a match official for having that much of an influence on a fixture. Can I just ask something? Why is no one saying things against uh, Nick Mallet? I mean, he's a big media personality and uh, Rassi got in trouble for his video and Dave Rennie and all of these, uh, 
you know, well, coaches, I suppose, say things and get in make trouble. A video. He didn't what make he a did video. technically, it was on Super Sport. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't the one recording. Uh, sure, fair enough. But look, you're always going to get somebody upset at the ref. Um, if we look at the game itself, though, I must admit, you know, I didn't initially think there was so much wrong, but in watching the replays, you know, you can actually see that, that you know, the ref just didn't rely, uh, uh, rely on his you know, the technology that was at his disposal, his assistant refs, I felt, and um, maybe he was just trying to make a point, come across as very confident in how he made his uh, calls and rulings, but, you know... But I think, you know, it, it transcends that. I think it comes to the point he didn't penalize Connacht for almost anything. I mean, the Stormers' mall was heavily, heavily dominant. And in a situation like that, you normally see a team getting pinged multiple times for collapsing or swimming through the ruck. Uh, not the ruck, the mall. But can I give you a stat there, Ronnie? Give me a they stat. They were only given four penalties the entire game against Connacht. Four. That is unreal. Hanuk Prasso used to get that in a half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's quite telling, actually. I mean, that's did Connacht really play uh, that much of a disciplined game? I doubt it. I highly doubt it. Look, I think I expected Connacht to win, uh, and they did. But it's it's just always heartbreaking when it happens, and there's so much grey area that uh, you know came out of that game, and and uh, yeah, I'm bitterly disappointed. And you know, last week we spoke about the discipline in the South African sides, and we were talking again about the professional foul and knocking the ball down, and again it occurred in the Stormers game. So that is something that seriously needs an address. It's as if the South African sides get a card for this at least once a week. Look. The South African teams need to go home and practice because <laughs> clearly the refs are not on our side and we need to work around that. Um, but it is something that I want to discuss a little bit later on. We'll get there for sure. But uh, look, I expected Connacht to win. They came with a win. What can I say? And for, Well, I know you're not the biggest Stormers fan, so maybe that... Yeah, but I am a South African fan, though. So, you know, even the worst South African team is still my favorite team when it comes when you compare to any other teams from around the world. And then when Sia Khaleesi and Thomas the Tank are not sharing a gondola in Venice, they're beating Benetton. <laughs> I think I'm sure they uh, that 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 gondola almost sank for sure. How many Thomas the Tanks do you think can fit in one gondola? No, it's before just it's gone. One and a half. <laughs> <laughs> gondola. Uh, yeah, so Sharks winning there in Italy, 29-7 win over Benetton. That makes it a 50-50 weekend for the South Africans. What did you make of that one? Great. Well done, Sharks. It's not easy to go overseas, play in those conditions, like I said, and hit the ground running. And I think they did. It was a good good game to start off their northern leg of the tour with. And uh, well done, Sharkies. Yeah, I just, again, I have to make this point. The Sharks are lacking potency on attack. We came out firing in the first half. You know, Mpimpi running riot. Fussy had a cracker of a game. But still, 29-7 is a flattering score to Benetton based on what was going on in that game. And it just comes down to finishing. Something needs to be done about the attack plan of the Sharks. It is it is not up to standard. It's dismal, really. I mean, I've said it in previous podcasts. I, I'm a Sharks fan. Just once again, just need to put that out there. But they really are the world's most average team. You know, you hope, and you hope that you come out of a game and you're elated as a Sharks fan. And there's just always something lacking, like you say. What it is exactly... 
I don't know. It's is it is it our lack of attack? Is it that we don't have exciting players? Because we actually do. We've got Lukanyu and we've got Mapimbi. We've got these great players, and it just seems that there's always something lacking. We should be incredibly dominant, and we're not week in week out. What role do you think the fact that the Sharks are playing with a different fly half every week is? You know, one week it's Kerwin, the next it's uh, Bonilla, and then it's um, Butter Chamberlain. You know, that sort of consistency in the ten channel is also crucial on attack and how the attacking patterns form from the 10. No, absolutely. But the reality is we play a lot of rugby. The Sharks have been playing Curry Cup and now they're playing URC. So even if it's week in, week out that they change the fly-off, they still get a lot of game time with each fly-off. And I think if your coaching structure was in place, you'd be able to coach your team to immediately switch and play to the game plans of that fly-off strengths. I'm starting to think that the Sharks' next signing needs to be Lionel Grenier. Well, come back to the Sharks. Um Korea is not bad. Absolutely. I think he, he brought some good shape into that 10 channel. And in all honesty, that's what I feel like the Sharks are lacking a lot at the moment. You know, we need someone to unleash those box speedsters out wide. Maybe he's the key to that. No, but we've got good fly-offs at the moment in the squad. I don't think adding another fly-off would do us any better. But look... Lionel Crenier is playing in, in at home at the moment. Um, we you know we watched a game not too long ago with him, and we both said, you, you know, he's actually playing incredibly well. His little stint overseas did him well. He came back, and uh, you know, and then we let him leave to Japan again. Why would we do that? <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. I don't know what's what's the story behind all of that, but absolutely, the, we the Sharks have the players. They just don't have the BMT. 100%. And I think that comes down to, to coaching. So the signing of our sevens coach is definitely a, a big, big win for the Sharks. Get Neil Powell in there and get some attack going, boys. Yeah, look, it's the team's there, but we just don't seem to have that chemistry, right? And Neil Powell might be exactly what we need. I mean, his what he's created with the blitz box and the sevens is an incredible feat. You know, he's, he's built... He built the academy from the ground up and uh, he's built a team there that play for one another and they are brothers in arms and, you know, maybe that's exactly what we need at the Sharks. Yeah, well, all in all, 50-50 weekend for the South Africans. Hopefully now with the teams coming here, we'll get a bit better. See them hitting the hard loftus turf or struggling with the humidity down in Durban. But we'll have to wait a week. There's a buy now for the South African sides before their northern counterparts come to this side. So the log in Superbrew... Yeah, well, Leinster currently top of the URC log. Having played 11 and 1-9, they sit there with 43 points. Second place is Ulster, also played 11-1-8 on 40 points. Glasgow Warriors in third on 39 points. Then you have to look all the way down to the Sharks in eighth place. Mm. Played 10-1-5, so 50-50 there. 13 points behind top spot. Ninth place, Stormers. 10 played 4-1, 24 points. Bulls in 11th on 23 points and that's almost half Leinster's log points for the Blue Bulls and then Lions down all the way in 14th place with only two wins from 10 games so a lot a lot of muscle flexing needs to happen from these South Africans if they want to make the playoffs so I suppose Stormers are not unbeaten now in 2022 this is true Ronnie (laughs) if you can't hear it he's smiling very very rudely here in studio so from a super brew perspective, I just want to say, Veris, uh, 
he was uh, he was the winner for a long time and, and leading us for a long time and he's down to 14th uh, I recall he was a Stormers fan so yeah, yeah that brings a, that also makes me very happy right now we've got a Sharks fan topping our Super Brew log Daniel Jacobs on 78.25 points so well done to you uh, Jacobs I'm starting to see a pattern here that the fan of the team that's winning the South African URC log is also the one topping the charts in our Super Brew pool so it seems to be working out there. And then Six Nations Rugby. You know, the North, uh, Southern Hemisphere sides are not playing. But you can't deny how lucky it is having some top quality international rugby on. Yeah, absolutely. I say this, we said it last week and the week before. Um, having the Six Nations is just very exciting at this time of year. I mean, you come back, it's the start of a new year. You've got new projects at work and whatnot. But at least you've got some good quality test rugby to look forward to on the weekends. Did you manage to catch that island visit? Italy clash. I see you've called it here the horror show. Uh, what a horror show that was. Hey, for anyone neutral as we were in that game. Any fan of rugby, right? Yes. If you watch that, you would immediately give up on taking the sport further. Hey. No, absolutely. And I'm definitely going to speak on that. But uh, look, Ireland, um, I really, I did expect it. I didn't expect it by that much, in all honesty. But uh, Ireland 57 to 6 points by Italy. Yeah, I backed Ireland to win by 44 points. No, you got the margin points, Ali, or the bonus points. I did, I did. But can we just discuss the card situation, the stuff up with the law changes, and how that led to Italy playing for 68 minutes with 13 men? Have you heard about this rule, Ronnie? I have heard about this rule. Absolutely, I want to talk about that. Well, Italy, this is the the sequence of events. Gianmuco, Gianmarco... Lucchesi goes off with injury in the ninth minute. He's the hooker for Italy. Haim Faiva comes on. He gets a red card for a tackle on Dan Sheehan in the 18th minute. Now their starting hooker is injured. Their substitute hooker is red carded. This rule now means, or the red carding means that Italy has to play the fixture with uncontested scrums because they've got no one left to play at hooker. And World Rugby rules now state if your side causes the uncontested scrums, you must lose an additional player. The idea behind that is to prevent foul play, weak scrums like the Italians versus Springboks in the World Cup in 2019. What this then meant is that Tao Halafihi and Pierre Brun go off and only bring on Ivan Neymar. So now you're bringing on a front rower to play in the front row. You're losing your eighth man and your wing and all because of one red card and an injury. So I think that severely, severely damaged that spectacle. I think absolutely. I think Italy did incredibly well to keep it to 57 points scored by uh, by Ireland because really they got dealt a very terrible hand there and it, it's something obviously needs to change. It was disappointing, absolutely. You know, just when you feel that Italy's maybe getting somewhere, they just get nowhere. 100%. And then a further yellow card takes Italy down to 12 men against Ireland. I mean, what, as I said, a horror show. You can't compete. Absolute horror show. And I think that flies completely in the face of World Rugby's goals of removing the sanction of the red card and allowing 20 minutes off and then you can bring another player onto the field. Mm. How does this rule support that notion at all? Yeah, no, it doesn't. That's just the reality of it. France versus Scotland? France versus Scotland. Look, better game. Absolutely, then the, <laughs> the horror show we just Yo, spoke about. That French side is on fire. 
unbelievable. Who do you want to face in the 2023 World Cup as a Springbok? <laughs> I do not want to come up against France. France is incredible, really, because it's their defense that is just so potent. Um, and I'm, I'm not even going to speak about their, their offense right now, but their defense is so potent because they've got this incredible forward pack, this incredibly dominant forward pack with a South African, Paul Willemser. Maybe we should stop calling him a South African because, well, he is French now and he's a he's an integral part to that forward team. They are so dominant and I just hate to face them. You know, maybe the other pack in the world that could possibly challenge them is South Africa, but it's going to be one hell of a game if we come up against but France. It would. It would 100% come down to South Africa's ability to slow down that French rack speed because... Their rack speed is faster than an F1 pit crew at the moment, mm. averaging at less than three seconds. Now, that's unbelievable, really. I mean, and, and DuPont, one animal, really. Yeah, and I mean, from that rack speed, you've got DuPont, Intermark, Peno, um, Jaminet running onto that ball. It's just unreal. And let's not forget they're missing Teddy Thomas. Uh, for sure. They've got an incredibly potent backline, and they've got that French flair. But what better to... Uh, showcase that French flair with this incredibly dominant forward pack. I mean, the, the the French just really have set themselves up with an incredible team, and they've been building on it for now a number of years, perhaps since the last World Cup, maybe a little bit earlier than that. They are truly dominant, and uh, they are really frightening. Any side set to face France next year should be shitting themselves, and they actually play both us and the All Blacks in November. So that's going to be... Yo, I, it's going to be telling, know, right? That's going to be crazy to watch. I, at this, in all honesty, I've always been scared to play the All Blacks. Well, not scared. I've looked forward to the challenge. But, you know, you, you, you go against the best in the world and you know it's going to be a tough day in the office. But this French team scares me. It really does. But I think it's also the unpredictability. I mean, how long has it been since we actually played France? Look, France, I don't know what uh, Fabien Gautier is doing there, but whatever he's doing is the right thing. Yeah, and Lacka Paul Willems are helping him along. <laughs> England versus Wales? Yeah, England struggling a little bit to close out that game at the end. They're allowing Wales back into it, hey? 23-19, the final score. I thought it was a dominant performance right up until the end there, and then Wales really came back. And, I mean, we were actually watched it together, and uh, and I just thought, wow, am I actually going to see a, a win in the 81st minute here for Wales, which would have been spectacular, but it uh, wasn't to be. I mean, yeah, England, Marcus Smith saying as much. He actually got his second man of the match in a row. His career is off to a stellar start. But absolutely, England just doesn't seem to be the team that they were before the 2019 World Cup. Maybe they're still going through some growing pains and whatever. But I just feel there's something off about that English side. Their inability to finish and actually put their opponents away. And it doesn't get any easier for them. Their next two games are Ireland and France. <laughs> yeah. No, there's some, there's some incredible Six Nation games coming up for, well, especially for England and France and, and Ireland as well. But, you know, England, I agree. Maybe it's just a team chemistry thing, a confidence thing. Uh, they just don't seem to be gelling because they should, in theory, be, dom- be another dominant force. And they, sh- they are dominant, but only here and there. Yeah, so that's something they need to fix. Good to see Courtney Laws back. He brings a lot to their pack. But yeah, England also, like the Sharks, need to find that killer instinct, need to be able to deal those blows to their opponents as and when they come. But let's just give some credit to Wales. I mean, yeah. that was a good comeback. They they stuck to their guns, they stuck to their game plan, and they put their heads down, they came very close at the end. Uh, 100%. You know, one or two decisions by the ref went the other way, or 
Um, I mean, we all know that there's always a 79th minute penalty that can change things up. And, you know, Wales took it really close. So well done, Wales, with the, you know, I would say a depleted team. I think Wales has to be one of the most resilient teams in world rugby. Yeah. They, doesn't matter how many injuries they have, they're never out of a fixture. They're always in it. They're always fighting hard, playing hard. And I mean, we've read in, in episode one about how many injuries they have at the moment. It was in excess of 12, 11 now that Falatau's back. But definitely agree with you, Ronnie. Well done to Wales. Yeah, tops to you guys. Now something that's been irritating me a lot recently, the salary cap in South Africa. You know, we've looked at all the players coming back. Urban uh, Etzebeth signing looks like Faf is off to Japan. But Lurt Diage, Peter Steftatoy, set to make a return here. I don't know how many people actually know about the salary cap and the effect that this is having on the game. Whilst its intentions are probably good, I think, or at least in my view, it is not the way to go to fix South African rugby and improve the quality of rugby we can display here. Sure, do you want to give us some context just uh, before we start discussing this? Yeah, so in 2021... South Africa had a budget of 61 million rand per franchise, professional franchise. That's Sharks, Bulls, Lions, Stormers. It's now 65.5 million for a squad of 50 players. That works out to roughly 1.3 million rand per player if each player was being paid the same. The players have a guaranteed monthly minimum salary of 36,155 rand. All right, so I mean, if every player got that in a month, it would be about 2.2 million rand across the year. So this Which amounts to about 40% of your annual budget, right, going to salaries. Yeah. At, to your minimum paid players. There we go. So the difficulty now comes in is the Sharks and Bulls have these big wallets and big investors, but they can't actually invest in the clubs because they can't go past that salary cap. So... What is the point in complaining like we always do about the strength of the pound and the euro and, and all these other currencies when we're essentially cutting ourselves off at the knees? A couple of things to say from my side. Um, we won't be able to compete as a South African economy with the likes of the Europeans and the British and the Japanese and Americans and all these fancy currencies around the world. The reality is we can't compete against them. And we do need private investment, absolutely. And that's what some of our teams have been doing. You know, you've mentioned the Sharks, you've mentioned the Bulls, and we've seen them, you know, attract a number of big-name players, you know, in recent times. I think there is a way to get around the salary cap. And I was reading up a little bit about uh, how New Zealand was addressing it and how they were, you know, there were ways to get around the salary cap, you know, paying towards retirement funds, paying, um, uh, you know, certain policies, um, giving them, you know, the insurance that they need, um, some accommodation and the likes. And there are ways to get around it. And I think that really hit hit me when I saw that how, how New Zealand, because their, their budget actually wasn't too dissimilar to ours if you even converted it. But what they were doing is they were giving players incentives. They were saying, if you reach a certain level, you get paid an extra amount and, and match fees. And if you attend X amount of, of practices, you get these additional lump sums, which is which I think is, is, is very good. So South Africa needs to really sit down and say, how are we going to address this? How are we going to compete against them? 
um, against these you know nations abroad and that's by doing things like that by incentivizing our players with that additional budget you know I think we we said, just said early uh, player salaries if you paid everyone the minimum amount amounts to about 40% of the annual budget um, you know there's 60% there to work with and you could play your senior players obviously a lot more you know I, I again though this brings me back to the point and why this is such a thorny issue for me because You've said we can't compete with the the salaries offered overseas, but we can because MVM Holdings is a company in America with dollars. You know, Patrice Motsepe, Johan Rupert at the Bulls have the money to to invest in the sport, but they're not being allowed to. So then we can't complain and we can't say we can't compete with the currencies because we can, but we it just has, don't allow them to. It has to be fair, right? You cannot bring private money into only the sharks and the bulls we need private money elsewhere maybe if you're saying look if we want to lock some private investment into a team sure come in but you are required to pay x amount of money towards saru who can then distribute some of the money that you're investing into the sharks perhaps into some of our smaller well, non-franchise nations let's not forget that mvm holdings had actually approached the stormers first and they bundled that one up yeah but let's not talk about their books is just shocking at the moment nobody would want to really go there but I mean, okay, the idea from Saru behind this contracting model is that they would contract between 10 and 20 Springbok players and then the unions were left with the rest. Now they, they've got what they call the pony system. So that's players of national interest. It's about 80 players. So your club can spend 65 million on players and then pony players get a subsidy from South African rugby. So players that... South African rugby has an interest in, they then top up their salaries. The Bulls coming out and saying, for example, they will only target Pony players because that gives them a bargaining advantage in terms of salary and incentives. And as that player becomes of more national interest, he gets a higher Pony uh, incentive. So that's something that plays into all of this. But, I mean, I take big issue with the fact that we've got this investment on our doorsteps now. We have a vehicle to bring our players home. And we're putting up a barrier and saying, no, you know, curtail your investments. The Sharks and Bulls uh, salaries prior to the salary cap introduction in 2019 was about 100 million. They've had to almost half that now to 65 million. And then after a little bit more digging, I see that they actually allow what they are calling third party payments. So as long as it's not from the union and someone else is paying the salary, sounds a little bit like our politicians, <laughs> it is acceptable. So for example, DHL sponsors Stephen Kitsoff's salary. So it's technically not a salary paid by the union and he still falls within the salary. Oh, cap. look, these are clever ways of getting around that then. But is this not exactly what Saracens did? No, that is what Saracens did. I was going to say it sounds a lot like them. But uh, look, rules get put in place. And uh, if you're operating in the gray area and skirting the rules a little bit, but not breaking the rules, then do it. That's the one way we're going to compete against international nations. But now you're driving investment into a single player from a sponsor like DHL, instead of driving the sponsorship money into the union. And then you've got that consistent flow of cash through the union. So the salary cap now is based on the revenue that they're guaranteed. So it's their broadcast rights and their sponsorship deals. That's how they reach their salary cap. 
It's not tied to the tickets. It's not tied to the test being played at their home stadiums, nothing. It is only the broadcast rights and the sponsorship deals. Well, look, this is bureaucracy 101, right? It's just, it's always going to be there. You have to find a way to work around it and work with it. And it's not going to change overnight. So, look, all these things that we're mentioning about how they should better handle their finances, these are things that aren't going to change overnight and it is going to take a couple of years to happen. But look, if they are going to have to do these sorts of things, uh, you know, sponsoring, you know, a private investment or a third party payment, sponsoring a, a player's salary to get around the rules, by all means do it. But I mean, okay, straight up question, Ronnie, should our clubs be privatized? To a, to a degree, yes, there should be a component, uh, it should be an upper limit to it. I think you can't just hand 100% of the club over to a but private a 51, company. a majority stake in the club? I'll give a 51 at least, you know. But there we go. That's exactly what we need. This is professional sport. We want our top athletes playing here. And that's unfortunately the only way you're going to get it. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. This is a professional sport. I mean, in the 90s, when it went from amateur to professional, a lot of people, my dad included, put his hands up in the air and they said, what the hell are you guys doing? You're losing what rugby really is. And, um, you know... <laughs> isn't the product that we have today a lot better than it was in the 90s and look maybe like like you say not maybe we should be going down the road every team should be um run like a business because at the end of the day you know if you if you run it like a business with the intention of making more money you're putting better players on the field making the game more exciting improving the stadiums making the whole product just that much more um what's the word exciting yeah and you're, you're just improving your brand do you know ronnie that this is the first time since sport went professional in 1996 not sport rugby went professional that there are no contracted Springboks. wow i didn't know that it's, it's for me it just does it simply doesn't make sense we have these guys wanting to pump money in here who are being denied the opportunity to do so it must be the first time in the history of the world that south africa's denied accepting money from somebody <laughs> so i don't know I, it makes no sense to me but Seeing those third-party payments, what do you think Etzebeth owns? Trevor Noah's apartment in New York. <laughs> <laughs> Shares in it, no, absolutely. Player retention and development and how, these, how this privatization affects that? Again, more money leads to it trickling down to the lower echelons of the game. If you're going to say $65 million for the team... And your players' salaries come to sixty-five million. What's left at the bottom? No, we have to clarify though that there is an eight million rand additional uh, sum of money that is allowed for player development. No, hundred percent. But what's good for the goose is good for the gander. If I don't know what that means, let me explain. To you. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to increase the salary at the top, there's going to be more money to spend at the bottom as well because that's naturally going to increase. Oh, so what you're saying is how our government is doing it is correct. Pay our CEOs more, pay our... Uh, yeah, but you see, our guys are actually... The players will actually be paid for doing something, okay. not taking something. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I just feel like it's it's not the model that suits South Africa. It is based off New Zealand and Ireland, like you mentioned, but completely different rugby climates. You know, it's, it's the lure of the jersey is one thing. And I tell you, and I'm so sure of it, our players want to play at home. Definitely. I mean, if you look at Vipian now, he was told by Hanukkah Mayer, sorry, my friend, you're not in the running for Springbok. And that must have been devastating for him. And he, you know, rightly so, was upset. Went abroad. CJ Stunder, same thing. 
They know? definitely want to be here, but you can't blame them for going somewhere. No, where you're going to get a better salary and yeah. better opportunity. I mean, if you're a 20 year old and somebody offers you a couple million rand every year to go and play, or a couple uh, million euros, is, yeah. Uh, I mean, of course you're going to do that. You want to come home and buy yourself a Hilux back in a home cash. I mean, if you're Warwick Gelant and you're being told you can be paid 1.3 million to stay in Cape Town, or 7.7 million rand a year in France. It's a no-brainer. It's, no, it's, it's an absolute no-brainer. And you're literally cutting off the team's bargaining power from the get-go. And I mean, yeah, I mentioned it last week. It's so good to see Etzebeth coming back in his prime, having signed to 2027. But that's something I want to see more regularly. I want to see the likes of Andre Esterhazen coming back now whilst he's in his prime. I don't want to see him come back when he's 34 years old and close to retirement. I mean, players like Francois Fenter, Jean de Jong, Rowan Jansen van Rensburg, specifically Dylan Lades, Jan Seifertel, I'm specifically mentioning these because these are backline players. I would really like to see an influx of incredible centers and flowers coming home. 100%. You know, maybe we could pump the brakes on some of our forwards because we have incredible forwards and we, we seem to be breeding incredible forwards year in, year out. But we need some better backline players. We need some fly halves injected into our domestic. You mentioned Lionel Crenier earlier. We need the likes of Lionel's to come home. Um, maybe the, the, the Dupria fly half also needs to come home. We need to inject fly halves and centers into our own country. Maybe outside three, we're doing all right. Maybe we need a couple of fullbacks. But we need these players to come back. 100%. I mean, I'd much rather watch the Sharks take on the Stormers and have Dialende run crash ball at us than watch the Sharks take on Munster and see it happen. Sure. You know, get those players home. Reinach, there's so many of them that are over there that could be here if we lifted the salary cap nonsense. And then, Ronnie, you know, what do you have for us this week? Okay, so look, it's, it's it really is based on what we've, what we've discussed uh in the last couple of minutes, what, the last 34 minutes, it's really long, um, and I just wanted to discuss about a f- being a fan of the game, it really sucks when you are watching a game and something happens like the Italian game, where suddenly there's, you know, three players short on the Italian team. Hold on, hold on, hold on, is this a rant or is this a good thing? I just I just want to know what I have to prepare just, myself. I, I don't really know what this is going to be, I just want to talk. And it's, it's really sad as a rugby fan when you watch these things take place. And you mentioned about the refs, uh, and it, it really bothers me. Rassi Erasmus was fed up absolutely fed up and he decided screw that i don't care if i get punished i'm going to make a video because somebody needs to say something it is ridiculous that week in week out at the end of end of a weekend we talk about how rubbish certain refs were and there was no accountability we weren't holding refs to account we weren't saying listen my friend you actually had a terrible game and this is your current global ranking as a ref you've just been docked 10 points for having an absolute shit game and these are the things that we absolutely need to do because it is destroying the product because you 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 sit down to watch rugby and then there's a 1917 uh loss to connect where if you're a stormers fan and you really feel that some of those calls were really incredibly harsh and why did why did the ref not use his technology at his disposal why did he not go up to the tmo and say listen my friend i'm only human i make mistakes but you sit behind the screen in hd you know, you've got the slow-mo button right in front of you. Can you just help me make a decision here? And uh, if that leads to the game perhaps being a little bit slower um, and, you know, we're constantly checking on the TMO, why aren't we employing two 
TMOs then? One that's constantly uh, looking at uh, looking for errors in the game and one that gets called on by the ref. I mean, there's technology in place. Why are we not using it? Why do we week in, week out have to talk about how shit certain games were because of a shit referee? So just to clarify, that was 100% that a rant. rant. Was that a rant? A rant. A rant. A rant. I know last week rant. I said I would tell a joke. I mean, where does Noddy keep his armies? I have no idea. In his sleeveys. <laughs> Yeah, there we go. That's the joke. But sorry that I had to rant again. But we spoke about. Um, He's really not actually sorry. <laughs> I, lo- I actually I like to complain. But you know we talk about refs making poor decisions and not being held to account. Why can World Rugby not do something about that? No, it's definitely time World Rugby steps in. But as I mentioned, he's probably going to be ref of the year this year now that South Africans have something against him. Referees control so much in the game and. Yeah, rather we, than we trying have to, to change the rules, fix the bloody officiating. Fix the bloody officiating. I don't care if there's a wrong call here and there, but it seems to me it's just happening way too often. For sure. And then, Ronnie, you know, I have to agree with you on that one, but we have some Curry Cup action on this weekend, so hopefully the officiating from the South African refs is a little bit better there. You know, we do everything better anyway. Pumas vs. Sharks on Friday night. That's kicking off at 7 o'clock. What are your thoughts for that one? Man, I'm really worried about this one. I know last week or the week before I said that, look, I was calling a, a Pumas upset against the Cheetahs. I'm not really sure how much of an upset that would have been. But look, Sharks, I don't know. I'm really nervous. They lost to the Pumas in 2019. But, you know, maybe I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with the Sharks. Okay, and Griquas vs. Blue Bulls? Griquas, the Giant Slayers. Um, no, I think the Blue Bulls should take this one. Won't be comfortable, but they should take it. Home well. fixture for the Griquas. Eh? Yeah, I know. That makes it a little bit tricky. You know, you don't just go to Kimberley and beat the Griquas. I mean, that grass is probably all dead and, you you know, you'd get hurt more just by falling <laughs> on it. But uh, absolutely, I think the Bulls should take this one. And the cat fight down in Bloemfontein between the Cheetahs and the Lions? So, a Possibles versus Probables uh, Cats team playing there. Um, I think the Cheetahs will take that. 100% cheetahs to take that. France staying to slot another 60. And then I think it's on to Stista Saturday, hey, Ronnie. Okay. Butch James, unfortunately, I owe you an apology. Yeah. Butch, we laughed at Nick so much when he when he read to us your comment on the post. Um, and we really did hold him to account. He did have to uh, um, take a couple of penalties. So just for everyone out there, we did get it right on the podcast. His name is Andrew David. Unfortunately, the post just said his name was David. So, Butchie, yeah, I had one for you there. Sorry about that. Um, but, yeah, the great defender. Well done, Ronnie. You got that one right. Yeah. So it's How much is that? How many have I got right now? 2-1, two, hey? 2-1. Two, 2-1 one. Two, one to you. Well done. You can count. So, this week, uh, we have another name, the player. So, as always, Ronnie's going to get some stats. He gets three questions to help you guys along. Clues will be posted throughout the week. And then the answer on Saturday. So, Ronnie, can you name the player? This player played center. He attended Kersney College. He made his professional debut in 2006 in the Super 14. He took over at Flyhalf for Butch James before Franz Steyn arrived on the scene. He started in the 2007 Super Rugby Final. He's the winner of five Premiership titles as well as three Champion Cups. And he made his test debut against Scotland in 2012. What are your questions? So I know for a fact that you deliberately chose this player to throw me off. And I actually do know who it is. Um, So my questions are, is he a South African? Yes. Did he play for the Sharks? Yes. Was he 
a great center pairing with Waylon Murray. Yes. Is his name Bradley Barrett? I don't know, Ronnie. You're going to have to wait for Saturday. Well, to find you out. do know, so yes, I'll wait for Saturday to find out, but I know I'm right in this one. I don't know, guys. If you've followed any of his Super Brew picks, you'll know that he's right far less than he likes to profess. But thanks, guys. That's it from us this week. Thanks for joining us. We'll check you back here next week, Thursday. Adios, amigos.